Welcome to Off Hours, a conversation between John Edwards and Chris Manning. 2020 is already more than 5% over, and I, I still don't know what your, your theme for the year is, Chris. Uh, I don't know what my theme is for the year either, John, to be honest. I, I, the last two years, I have chosen what I thought would be excellent themes, and I tried to work diligently towards them, and it was a complete disaster, particularly last year. My themes last year were organization and production. I feel that my actual theme, what really happened was chaos, travel, and moving. And all basically all of that can be categorized as chaos. It was um, it was a crazy year last year. Well, our show title for last year's themes episode was somewhat prophetic then. <laughs> yes, it was. My, my chaos is self-imposed. I believe those were words that, that came from your mouth. It absolutely is self-imposed, and I I have only myself to blame for all of that. I I have to say, I had a great time in 2019, uh, particularly the travel part of it. We've obviously discussed that quite a bit on the show, uh, the various trips that I was able to do last year, conferences that I spoke at, people that I had a chance to meet, classes that I took when I was traveling, and I, I don't regret any of that. It was uh, It was a great year for me from that point of view, and that was extremely important for me that I was able to meet some people and, and build some relationships that will end up being quite important for me later on. So I, I'm really happy that I did that, but it, it just threw my entire year into complete and utter chaos. Uh, it was basically six months of the year that I ended up spending, I think out of six months, I ended up spending just a little over two months traveling in the first half of the year. So it was difficult to sort of get a get a good rhythm going and, and be able to sort of work on anything. And then the second half of the year ended up being a lot of preparation for moving, you know, what I knew was going to be getting into the new space. So uh, it was, yeah, uh, 2019 was definitely not the year that I had initially hoped it was going to be or planned on it being, but uh, it was what it was. And it's gotten me to the point where I am today. I've figured out that this year the theme is going to be building and building in a, in a number of senses of the uh, of the word. That seems very fitting given all the, the building that you've been up to even just over the, the past two months or so sitting up in the, the new space. Yeah, in some ways it's it's very literal uh, building building out the new shop space and, and actually building uh, what's there, uh, but also building the YouTube channels that we're working on. Uh, both Rich and I are working on building our YouTube channels and uh, uh, I'm doing a lot of the work for uh, for both of those, uh, a lot of the filming and the video editing for them. Uh, so there's there's that and, um, and building what we both hope is going to be uh, a significant presence online in terms of the video. And that's something that I've talked about a few years ago is, as a theme was I wanted to, to get more of my education out there, uh, more of my knowledge out there in videos. And so this is now a chance that we can actually do that. The space that we're in gives us that opportunity to to do that. So uh, we're trying to build that. And then, of course, building things that I can physically hold in my hands that I can sell to somebody as a customer and say, this is a thing that I make. This is a thing that I've built and you can buy this. Uh, so that's also extremely important. And again, something that I talked about and wanting to do last year and get my production going uh, this year is the year that it has to happen, and all the pieces are in place now. We're very close to being in place to be able to do that. 
Almost sounds a little do or die, build or bust. Well, at some point you need to do it, right? If uh, yeah. if you're not going to if you're not going to actually get out there and and make the thing, you know, at some point or another, you have to decide if that's what you're really doing. You know, if you if you're not giving it enough priority, then you have to decide is this is this the thing that you're going to do? Um, so I did make some progress last year with a few things, obviously things like the pad printer and getting it up and running and deciding how I was going to be waking my dials. Um, some of the design elements that I finalized on the watches, uh, also figuring out a design that I was able to uh, take the 42 millimeter case that I had created. And I've also made a 38 millimeter version of it now. You know, so the there are things like that that I was able to move forward with the, with my watch design and my watch prototype. And that's obviously been extremely important for me. And so I, it wasn't as though 2019 was a complete bust in terms of moving forward with my watch design. Uh, but it, it didn't get me to where I wanted to be. Where I really wanted to be was um, in a position where I could say, okay, this is a production watch that I have in front of me that I can actually show to somebody and sell them if they uh, they want to buy it. And so that's uh, that's really this year. I've got to make sure that I can get to that point where where I can do that. And, you know, this new shop space is so important for that. It gives me the space that I really desperately needed to be able to work on this stuff. And I'm no longer tripping over myself. And I'm no longer you know, needing to move machines out of the way so that I can get to other machines so that I can actually make a thing. So that's, uh, that's extremely important. And having helped you move a, a couple of those machines around in the last few weeks, I, I can bear witness to, to just how arduous it would be to, to get one machine out of the way of the other to, to move on to a, a different machining process. So I think you are already on much better ground uh, starting off 2020, being able to easily access each of your your machines in order to to build what it is you're building. Yeah, thank you very much. That you were one of the uh, the people that came out and helped on uh, on the weekend this past weekend of, of moving my machines. I I have a fair bit of machinery that is large enough to deal with uh, by myself. That it's it's a little bit dangerous dealing with it by yourself and trying to trying to move it around. And certainly the setup that I have in my home shop trying to load into a trailer or a truck or whatever it's almost impossible to do by yourself so i was very fortunate to have a number of people come out and help me with that and we were able to uh, to get everything moved in a day it was a very very cold day unfortunately and uh, it did eventually start snowing which made things awkward uh but yeah we did get everything moved and it, it's almost comical when you see the photos of how cram packed my shop was versus how tiny all of my machines look in the new shop space it's almost ridiculous how much space we have now in terms of uh of getting all the machines around and i'm sort of sitting there hemming and hawing over oh exactly where where do these machines go and it's it's almost a joke because we could lay the machines out in almost any order we wanted to and still have a huge amount of space left over for extra things like layout tables and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's made a huge impact on, um, on how I'm thinking about my workflow. Now I can set up the machines in a, in a way that makes the most sense for me. Um, and you know, that's, that's just going to make things so much easier when it comes to actually designing and building things. And obviously 
the watches are going to be my my uh my biggest goal here in terms of physical goods that i'm making uh but there'll be other things on there as well so this allows me to to quickly move back and forth between the things that i'm making and i don't have to sort of struggle with machine setups and not having the room to work or not having the room to lay things out or whatever so yeah it's uh it's going to be so nice being in this shop and actually having everything set up and and going how did it feel watching a lifetime's collection of of tools hurtling down the highway at 100 kilometers an hour (laughs) i'm not gonna lie it was utterly terrifying I was driving behind the truck that was towing all of my equipment. I think in many ways I would have been better off being in the cab of the truck so I couldn't see what was going on behind me. Uh, but the seeing all that all that machinery sitting on a on a bed in the open in the winter, it was just utterly terrifying watching it all flying down the highway. Of course, I'm sitting there in my little hoop behind this thing and i'm sitting there looking at my south bend lathe which weighs a thousand pounds more than my car and thinking "Uh oh (laughs) if that thing if that thing lets go off of the trailer i'm i'm gone because there's no way that i would have been able to uh to stop in time to uh to prevent that thing from taking out my car so it was uh, it was a little scary, and I have to say I am very happy that I don't have to do that again for a very very long time uh, because it was uh, it was a little bit scary to do that. But I'm uh, I'm so happy that it's done now. And in contrast, to that you must feel an incredible amount of of relief and, and jubilee having the space that you you now have to to work with the, these tools in. Yeah, the space is great, and I'm I'm so ex- I'm so excited to be in there. Uh, we. Last two days we've been in there, Rich and I have been in there moving things around and we're slowly starting to set up some machines because of course, whenever you move machines, you have to tear them down to some degree. And um, and so we've been slowly doing some setup and moving some things around a little bit, uh, starting to try and get it in place. Uh, for us, it's, it's actually a little more important to get things at least in a rough position uh, in the next day or two because we've got an electrician coming in starting tomorrow and... Uh, you know, obviously we need to be able to wire these machines up and, and have a sense of where they're going to go. So at least have a vague idea of, of where in the, the floor space they're going to end up. Uh, but hopefully we'll have at least a, a good enough idea of where everything's going in the next day or two, and that won't be a problem. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, so exciting to, to be able to get this uh, this space up and running. Well, 2019 did not flow exactly as as planned for me either. I'm going to have a little bit of, of spillover of, of last year's theme into this year, uh, that being the, the year of the nest, which was largely doing stuff around the house to prepare and lay the groundwork for me to do other things. But, uh, in large part, those delays were due to to dealing with, with contractors, which I know uh, you, you've had your, your fair share of, of fun with uh, over the last little little bit. Uh, but just a, a, a delay of almost four months on, on one of the, the major projects, which was getting the, the foundation on our place waterproofed, uh, which was critical to get done before I started doing anything in the basement in, in terms of renovating things uh, in that space. Uh, so it's been quite a, quite a number of, of setbacks in that way, but it is finally all, all done and behind me, and uh, I just have all the 
the residual aftermath left to deal with uh, outside our house, uh, but I am I'm freed up this winter to be able to plug away on things down in the basement, which has been a, a great relief. Uh, but in reflecting on it, my my guiding principle for or lens through which I'm I'm seeing things for this this coming years, in a sense that it's the year of, of planting seeds for me because uh, there's a whole lot of landscaping that is going to have to happen outside because everything's just been decimated out there. I've got a front porch to redo and whatnot, uh, but also planting seeds in the sense of projects and things that, that I have going on. I, w- I want to at least get a number of my, my watch projects and things to a point where they will begin to germinate and, and bear fruit and, and hopefully reap a harvest by, by the autumn. And so that is, is what I'm I'm looking at uh, for, for 2020 for myself. But there's still, as I said, some spillover from the year of the nest, so there'll still be some, some things going on around the house. But by and large, the things that I had full control over, uh, I was able to knock every single one of those things off, and uh, I'm feeling pretty good about the, the year of the nest overall, with the, the exception of delays on, on the part of contractors. Yeah, that's always tough, and and we've noticed that in in the studio ourselves. We've got uh, people in there. Rich's nephew Reg has been in there helping out, and he's been great. Uh, we've we've had a few other people sort of coming and going out of the place to uh, to get things done. But the the real problem has just been the length of time it's taken outside contractors to do work, and that's always something that's frustrating because you have no control over it, and you you really can't do anything to speed it up. So that's always um, always frustrating. So it's it's nice to hear that that stuff's already been done. Do you think there's any other significant work that's going to require contractors to come in and, and help you out? Or is this all you at this point going forward? Um, there there could be, but I, I don't foresee anything for, for 2020. 2020 is going to be, it's all on me. There are things that I could outsource, but I don't see the value in it, given particularly the, 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 just the trade-offs and the, the stress of, of dealing yeah. with contractors this, this past year. So uh, I'm just going to plug away at things myself and uh, just have at it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had uh, some contractors come into the house ourselves this year, this past year. We had, uh, as the winter was starting to hit, we found out that our roof had several significant holes in it and uh, it was starting to leak. So uh, we were very fortunate to find a local contractor who was able to come in and and get that work done quickly for us and uh they did an amazing job on getting the uh on getting our roof fixed up and at least the worst of it the rest of the roof uh, they're going to come back in the spring and finish up uh, because that, none of that was actually critical for the uh, the winter and uh keeping us keeping us dry and safe so that was uh that was nice we were it, it basically went about as well as it could go uh, once we figured out that the roof was leaking we were able to find somebody quickly and and they were amazing so i was really happy about that i'm always struggling with that balance of how much of it do i do myself when i don't necessarily have the time or the energy to be able to do it myself versus the struggle of dealing with contractors which i hate dealing with contractors cuz they they're either not doing it fast enough or they're not doing it well enough and and that's always frustrating it's really is a challenging trade-off, and it's hard to decide because there is a certain amount of time and effort and stress required to manage contractors. So yeah. sometimes it would just be faster to do it yourself, but then you know, time is a very finite resource. 
So it's hard to to call those shots sometimes on the things that, that you could do yourself versus whether it is something that is, is worth the, the time it's still going to take you to, to oversee a, a contractor doing the job or to, to find a contractor and then all that rigmarole as well. I, I had a few people in the family encouraging me to, to try my hand at waterproofing the foundation myself, and I, I just decided it was, it was not something I wanted to take on. Yeah, there's certain things that I think that are worth paying somebody to do, either because they're just a hellish job or they are you know, critical enough that it's worthwhile finding somebody who does it properly. Roofing is one of those things that I, I've done enough roofing over the years that I realize I hate roofing and I do not want to do it. And I was reminded again, I've, I've built a small shed uh, this summer and just doing the roof on that, I remembered very quickly, oh yes, I absolutely despise doing this job. So I was more than happy to pay somebody to come in and, and do the, the roof of the house. Uh, drywalling is another one. I absolutely hate drywalling. So I'm happy to pay somebody to come in and do that. But um, it's, and, and if I had to waterproof my foundation, I would absolutely pay somebody to come in and do it. I, I'm not sure that I would, uh, I'd be keen on, on trusting myself to do that work. Don't trust myself with heavy equipment digging out around the, the foundation. <laughs> I mean, I, I would hardly trust myself to pilot the the forklift you guys have around, around your new shop there. Oh, the forklift has actually been a lot of fun. And um, other than uh, other than me getting stuck in the snow today, uh, by the way, if if any of you are out there and you're using a forklift and you happen to be living in a hellish climate like we have, where it snows and and it's uh, you get nasty winters, uh, don't drive your forklift outside unless it's designed for doing that because the tires are really not designed for it. Those uh, those hard tires are uh, are miserable. They have no traction in the in the snow. And then of course you have wet tires when you do finally get back into the shop and you have this nice, beautiful epoxy floor with wet tires and you then have zero traction on the epoxy because they're now wet. So yeah, don't, uh, don't drive your forklift outside unless you absolutely have to, uh, or prepare to get stuck because that's what happened to me today when I was moving, uh, moving a, a safe from one part of the, the uh, building to another it ended up getting, uh, getting stuck in the in the uh, snow out back. So that wasn't particularly fun. And the ground clearance isn't very high on a forklift either. No, it isn't. You could quickly uh, beach it if you don't, um, if you're not careful. I did shovel the snow beforehand, but I I couldn't quite get it back down to the asphalt. It was, um, there's a little bit too much of it there. So flipping back to the the building of the YouTube channel, you and Rich are going to be heading off to a conference in just a, a few weeks. We're going to be heading down to WorkbenchCon at the end of February, uh, the 20th to the 22nd of February down in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, this is a convention for people who are either in the sort of social media world, primarily makers who are in the social media world, and whether they're just putting stuff up on Instagram or Twitter or whether they're doing something more involved like, like building a YouTube channel. Uh, this is really a gathering for people that are are doing that. So uh, there's various people there speaking and and talking about their journey and and some of the details of how they've built their um, their channels, as well as you know sort of sponsors and people who are looking for people to sponsor for for channels. So it's an interesting place to go and and find other people that are trying to do some of the things that we're doing. Uh, so we want to talk to some of them. Some of them are people we know. Uh, we've met before at other conventions. 
Uh, some of them are people we don't know, but we've uh, or we've never met in person, but we've chatted with a lot online. They're all sort of going in the same direction as where we're trying to go. So it'd be interesting to hear some of their their ideas of of what's worked for them, what hasn't. You know, we're not necessarily trying to make a channel that is going to replace all of our income and be our sole source of income. I know that there are a lot of people who are trying to do that. Uh, obviously, if we're if we can make some money off of it, that would be great, and that would certainly help with uh, some of the other things that we're doing. Uh, for us, it's more for us to having having some fun, getting our sort of knowledge out there into the world, and um, being able to to participate in a community that we've both gotten a lot from. We we've both learned a lot from the make community online, and this is sort of our chance to participate in it a little bit and to try and add our voice to it a little bit as well. Uh, sort of like you and me starting this podcast. I mean, this, it was nice to be able to do that and, and sort of get our voice out into the world. And that was a big part of why we wanted to start this. And, um, you know, it wasn't, it was never a, a monetary thing for us, you know, starting this, this podcast. And it's the same thing with the YouTube channel. Um, but this workbench con looks like it's going to be a, an interesting time. Uh, I don't know that there's a lot of crossover between the people that listen to us right now on the podcast versus the people that would be attending the conference. Obviously, if you're there, you know, and we're around, come by and say hi. Uh, we'd love to chat with you and and uh, and see you. I'm looking forward to it. It's it should be good. At the very least, it'll be Georgia at the end of February, so it will be a heck of a lot warmer than it is here. Uh, so at the very least, we'll have a couple of days of warmth, which will be nice. I imagine Rich is looking forward to meeting up with Jimmy Duresta again. Is there anyone in particular you're looking forward to, to seeing there at WorkbenchCon? Yeah, Jimmy's uh, somebody we've both met a couple of times, and um, and he's been fun to sort of hang out with over the years. He's um, he's an interesting guy. He's got some great stories about um, about some of the work that he's done over the years. For me, there's nobody specific that um, that I'm interested in necessarily. Uh, there's a couple of good talks that are there that um, uh, that look good. I'm I'm planning on attending a lot of the talks that are going on, uh, so that will be that'll be worth seeing. Um, there are a bunch of people that we know that are in this this community who aren't necessarily speaking, but will be uh, will be attending. So we'll, we'll have a chance to sort of catch up with them and and uh, people that we we met uh, over the last couple of years when we've been at. Uh, Maker Central over in Birmingham, uh, so this will be nice. We'll we'll get a chance to see some of them and um, and chat with them a little bit more. Now, in terms of building your physical objects to sell, are you going to be focusing on on one of your products in particular for the year? Or are you going to continue on with the the pen making and and the watch making in tandem with one another? There's a few pens that I need to make this year. Um, Mostly for my own gratification, um, they're, they're designs that I've been working on for a couple of years now. In some cases, a long time. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, a few. This one particular pen design that I've I've sort of had out there and I've been working on. I'm really happy with, and I've just never had a chance to get it into production. So I, I'm really hoping this year I can actually make a bunch of them and get them out in the world for sale. Um, so there, there are a few pens that are there, but really it's the watches that are, are my key focus for this year in terms of physical goods. They're the big one is that I want to get this moon phase watch out in the world. Uh, originally I was just going to do the 42 millimeter version of it. 
but having spoken to a few people about um, about sizes and and how comfortable the watch is, the the prototype of the watch that I've got, I realized pretty quickly that there are enough people out in the world who uh, will benefit from a slightly smaller watch that it was worthwhile designing that as well. So I sat down one weekend and sort of knocked out a, a rough design of what I thought the 38 millimeter version of it would would look like, so that it had the same sort of feel of the uh, the the bigger the bigger version. And I think I got it to to somewhere that I was pretty happy with, and then I refined it over the next couple of weeks. So overall, I'm pretty happy with that. I'm not a hundred percent sure that I've got a dial design yet that I'm 100% happy with with 38 millimeter but the uh, certainly the case design I am pleased with so yeah that's um, that's that's going to be my biggest focus is getting the two of those out there I, I need to have let's see here I need to have a finished version of it at least something that's um, you know that sort of represents the final version of it I need to have that finished in the next couple of months but I should be able to get a uh, a bunch of the both the 42 and the 38 millimeter versions done by the end of the year and be available for sale. And uh, so that's that's going to be my biggest focus is getting, you know, probably a half a dozen watches finished by the end of this year. Do you have particular techniques or strategies in, in mind to, to keep yourself on track? I think the biggest part of that is going to be making sure that I, I sort of chip away at it at a regular basis. Uh, so there's obviously the things that I need to work on. So making the cases, making the dials, making the hands, those sorts of things, getting them printed, all of that stuff. I've got a chart, sort of a flow chart of what needs to be done, uh, which bits and pieces need to be finished for it to actually be ready as a sellable product. Uh, but then there's other things that I haven't actually finished yet. So I haven't finished designing any of the packaging, for instance. So that needs to be done before I can go any, you know, before I can really go forward with it as a product. I don't have a finalized watch strap yet. So I need to figure out who I'm going to use to make these straps, uh, figure out what the straps are going to look like at the mortar, that sort of thing. And then, of course, I need to get the movements in, um, you know, do, do any kind of work that I need to do on the movements because I'll need to do a little bit of engraving on them. Uh, obviously, need to do a full service on them, that sort of thing. So there's there's a lot of steps that are involved between now and whenever I actually get these things out there in the world. And I've got a pretty good chart of what that needs to be. So the trick is going to be making sure that I actually sit down every week and sort of hammer away on a couple of those things and start getting them going. And I think the the big the biggest challenge for me is going to be finding the people that are going to do the work outside of what I'm doing. So, you know, I'm going to have to find somebody to do the packaging for me, for instance, whether it's, you know, printed packaging, whether it's um, boxes, whatever that happens to be. And I need to give them enough lead time to get that done so that I'm not trying to rush at the last minute to try and get the uh, the packaging done. Same thing with something like the watch straps. You know, I can't ask somebody to just say, hey, give me half a dozen watch straps next week. That's not really realistic for something like this. So I need to make sure that I can give them enough lead time and know that it, you know, know that they're going to be able to finish it in a reasonable amount of time and and that if there are problems with something that I can get it fixed and I've got enough time to do that. Keeping myself organized and sort of going through every week and figuring out, all right, this is the next step. This is where I need to go. How do I get there? What do I need to do to make that happen? That's uh, that's going to be extremely important. So I need to make sure that I check in every week and actually make sure that I'm I'm moving forward in some way. It sounds like a, a reasonable antidote to chaos. I hope so. 
It's uh, the other problem is I'm going to have Rich around, so I'm not sure that uh, I've never had somebody in my shop with me before. So uh, having another person in the shop is going to be an interesting experience. It's definitely been fun so far. We've uh, we've managed to get ourselves into a little bit of trouble while we're filming and um, and have some fun, and so that's going to be that's going to be an interesting experience. It's uh, it's nice having somebody there to be able to riff off of and be able to get ideas from. Um, and so part of it will be making sure that we don't, we don't distract each other too much. And so we're actually able to get some things done other than just, uh, sort of having fun and, and, uh, goofing around. So we do need to make sure that we actually get, get work done occasionally as well. Uh, but I think it'll overall, it'll be really good, but it's definitely going to be a different experience for me. It's been a long time since I've had to actually work with uh, another human being on a regular basis. Hopefully that proves to be a beneficial and fruitful change for both of you. Yeah, I think it will be. We're, I know one of the things both of us have been looking for is somebody to act as a, a sort of a sounding board while we're working. Uh, certainly, he and I have better ideas when we sit down and start talking to each other and, and we can bounce ideas back and forth off of each other. So um, it is nice when, you're, when you come up, with a, come up to a roadblock of some sort to have somebody else there to, to talk to about it, somebody who's knowledgeable about what's going on somebody who's also been seeing what's going on and how how it's been going as you've uh, you know sort of as we've been working along uh, so that'll be nice and then on top of that it's also nice to have something to pull you away from your primary goal uh, because it gets you into a different mindset so rich obviously focuses a lot on different things than i do he's focusing more on woodworking and on you know on sort of doing art installations and when you're when you, I find when I'm having a, a difficult time sorting out a problem, it's nice to work in a completely different medium, whether in this case it's video, whether it's helping with woodworking, whether it's working on my own woodworking projects as well, because I do have some of my own projects that I do want to do. Uh, that just sort of that move away into a different media helps a lot because your brain then has a chance to put the primary you know your primary project in the background it sort of turns away on it in the you know the sort of the the uh, spare cpu cycles in the back of your brain get to sort of work on problems and and figure things out and and sometimes you get inspiration from a different media that uh, that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise so uh, certainly a lot of my work over the years has that that inspiration has come from other things whether it's been architecture illumination and you know book binding and things like that so there's a there's a lot of different places that you can get inspiration from from the work that you're doing but you you really need to play with it a little bit and and sort of get out there and try it and um and so that's that i'm looking forward to i think that's going to have a huge impact on on how much i'm able to do and how i'm able to work through some of the problems that i've got now you have talked a little bit on in past episodes about setting up a new shop in your house. And I assume that uh, your comment about uh, the foundation being waterproofed and, and sort of leading to you being able to do some work in the basement, is is that leading towards you uh, setting up a, a shop in your basement and, and in your home again? Yes, absolutely. I, shop is, is, I don't know if that's quite the, the right word. I think I'll go with a studio as you do, uh, or lab. I, I don't know quite what, what it it shall be called, um, but my actual like workshop for for woodworking is is one space to to get set up, and and metalworking and three D printing all that sort of machinery will will be in in that 
area. And one of the nice things about moving to this space that, that we're in now is that I've quintupled this the size of space that I actually have for, for workshop space compared to for our old place. And uh, I will also be setting up a, a laundry room, of course. That's actually going to be priority number one. Get that set up, you know, got to have your priorities straight. And then uh, space that is it's more of a clean room type space. So that, that would be the, the space I kind of called the lab that will be housing my, my watchmaking bench and whatnot. So that we'll finally have a, a proper home here in our, our new house, which uh, it, it has not had since we, we moved in. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Finally getting a, a heated floor in here, as we've uh, alluded to here and there, both in, in your own space and, and in mine. I'd be very grateful for that in these cold Canadian winters. Uh, so it'll be uh, that, that's part of the planting of, of the seeds is is getting these spaces set up and and operative, and just uh, making the spaces far more usable uh, than they than they've been. And so, do you do you intend to build the shop out properly, like with uh, you know sort of proper flooring, like we've talked about, where you're um, you know you're setting up maybe linoleum flooring and everything? Like, do you plan on setting it up as a proper watchmaking studio? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, linoleum's a a must unless some other miracle flooring happens to cross my radar. It is certainly something I've been on the lookout for. I've, I've yet to find the my my dream floor for a, a watch making space, but uh, that that light blue linoleum we've we've spoken about before uh, is currently the crowned king of uh, my floor choices, uh, despite it not not being my top preference in terms of aesthetics uh, but yeah. it, as far as actual practicality goes uh, i've yet to find anything else better than that for a watchmaking space well i'm curious to see how that looks and and how it how it feels after you're finished i'm going to be taking the what was my shop space here at home and i'm going to be renovating it over the next year and uh, i'll probably set up another space in there like i'll i'll set up a watchmaking bench here at home so that if it, if we get snowed in or if I just don't feel like uh, driving into the studio that day or if it's a weekend or whatever, then I can at least do some work here. And uh, I haven't, I still haven't decided what I want to do with the, the space in terms of the flooring and everything. I'm, I'm still not sure that I can work myself up to, to using linoleum for the floor. I, I understand the practical nature of it, but uh, there's, I'm not sure that the, uh, the aesthetics are going to win, win or the, the practicality is going to win in that case. Yeah, it's, it's a bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, if you, if you come across something better, please do let me know. I'd love to hear about it. Well, I can speak to you about the challenges of epoxy floors. <laughs> so I have heard. Uh, that actually was a contender for, for a time. I, I looked hard at, at epoxy floors for, for a bit, but uh, still think I'm going to stick with, with linoleum. How about for the watchmaking space in your, your new studio? What are you thinking there? Uh, I think I think we're going to go with some... Um, uh, it's not going to be linoleum, but I think it's going to be a hard tile uh, sort of a a vinyl tile. We were able to get some surplus tile uh, that was left over from another installation and the shop space slash office space that's sort of upstairs. Uh, we're not going to try tiling the entire space, um, but I think sort of the area around where I'm planning on setting up my watchmaking bench, we'll we'll try and tile that so that it's at least a little bit um, a little bit safer to to work on tiny little parts that tend to go flying. Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure yet. We we need to, we we do need to sort of get a subfloor up there and uh, make it a little bit uh, nicer to work work on as a floor surface first. 
and uh, then we can decide and see, sort of see how much of that um, that vinyl tile we have and how effective it would be. It'll sort of be a game time decision when it comes to that, but we'll see. It's uh, such a tough process to figure out. Uh, I've also got to deal with the fact that I'm the other side of the bench is going to be a, a jeweler's bench, so that has a few slightly different criteria in terms of what's nice to work with and what isn't. Uh, you know, obviously, it needs to be something that can you can clean up the debris of jewelry making a little bit easier off of uh, a harder surface than uh, linoleum. Uh, I find with linoleum that um, sort of your offcuts and your your swarf and and uh, whatnot from jewelry making tends to sort of dig into the the linoleum and it, it's because of its of how soft it is. So I'm not sure how appropriate linoleum would be for that side of it. It's a, a bit of a struggle to sort of balance out what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see what you mean there. Even with hard vinyl, uh, I've, I've been in enough jewelry spaces where there's this very distinct dark ring around the the jeweler's chair, where the floor has just been impregnated with polishing compound and and bits and, and pieces of, of precious metal and even you know, the odd bit of shattered gemstone and what have you. And it's just carved a, a black ring uh, under the benches, even into harder surfaces. Yeah, and uh, I know a lot of the jewelers that um, that I've, I've worked with over the years and that I've spoken to over the years, a lot of them put um, carpet down, an industrial carpet, so it's a low-pile sort of durable carpet, and they actually cut it out and replace it every year, and they send the carpet off to their refiner, for um you know for recovering the precious metals that are in it and depending on the metals that you work in is particularly if you're working in gold and platinum uh, you can actually get a fair bit of material out of those out of that carpet every year uh, i know one jeweler who actually makes enough money that they're able to take a holiday every year uh, just on the um on the the amount of precious metal that they take out of their carpet so yeah it's a it's a tough decision to make and and you've got to balance out all the the competing problems and and advantages to to each of them so uh, we'll have to see at the end of the day i would love to have a nice hardwood floor in there in my you know in my shop here at um at home eventually when i finish renovating it but i i'm just not sure how practical that's going to be for what for either of those situations but we'll see it's uh it's a little ways down the road and and i can also try out some some different things sort of experiment and see what happens so i can put down a little section of of let's say hardwood flooring and work on it for a little bit and you know, and then try some some vinyl tile and see how that holds up, and try some linoleum and see how that holds up. So I can sort of experiment a little bit. So do you have any plans to put a separator between the the watchman you mentioned, the, the jewelry bench, like a sheet of plexiglass, or even just a glass wall or something? Uh, I don't think there's going to be any kind of a, a wall between them. Uh, in my case, I don't do any polishing at my bench. I I have a separate polishing area uh, because of how dirty and nasty polishing can be so i'm a little less concerned about things sort of spraying over from the jewelry side onto the watchmaking side i I know that can be a a bit of a concern but in my case i'm not too worried about that i I just don't do the kinds of things at my jewelry bench that are are not conducive to watchmaking uh so there will be a separate a, a, a bit of a distance separating them probably nine inches 12 inches or whatever of space separating the two uh, mostly so that I can get camera gear in between them. Uh, I want to be able to to put easily put um, sort of a camera set up uh, so that it's uh, sort of quote unquote behind my bench and looking at me 
uh, regardless of which side of the bench I'm on. I can just flip the camera around and be able to easily record what I'm doing and, and sort of see what I'm doing. But I'm, I don't think there's going to be any kind of a physical separator between the two. So when you are building and, and crafting at your jewelry bench, what sort of processes or tasks are you undertaking that if you're, you're not doing much polishing? Um, at that point, it's it's mostly fabrication. So the fabrication side of things, I'll be soldering. That I don't actually do at my bench very much either. I, I actually have a soldering station, uh, again, that I do uh, the soldering at. So that's not really a concern. Uh, and then at the bench, it's a lot of handwork. So whether I'm sawing, filing, uh, a little bit of work with a flex shaft, so like a, a Fordham flex shaft, that kind of thing. Um, so uh, it's a lot of hand tool work at that point. Uh, not a lot of power tool work that's being done at the at the jeweler's bench. There's still a, a fair amount of potential for debris to make its way over onto the watchmaking bench. Yeah, not as much as you might imagine. It again, it's the the something like the the flex shaft is probably the worst of it, but. Um, the way that I use a flex shaft, it's not um, it's not spraying large amounts of material around, and most of that's being contained sort of in the immediate area that I'm working in because I want to capture that metal, right? Mm-hmm. If the precious metal was going very far, I would know about it because it would be something that I'd be trying to collect. So, uh, based on my experience, I, I don't have to worry too much about that precious metal going going very far and. Certainly not um, not as far as a bench that would be on the other side of the bench that I'm working on, uh, so that that shouldn't be too much of a concern for me. Certainly, the the place where you re- you really run into that problem is with the polishing, uh, and in that case, I wouldn't do any polishing upstairs in that uh, office space. It would be uh, basically uncontrollable in that space. Uh, you'd have buffing compound and metal and everything everywhere. It would be uh, it would be tough to control. So. That's going to go into the main shop space where sort of the dirtier work is happening. And that's where I'll also be doing things like casting as well, which again can be really dusty and dirty. Uh, so that's all going to take place in the main shop space. It won't be, um, I won't be doing that in the, in the office space at all. Well, looking back a year ago, I don't think either of us could have quite pictured you being where you're at today. So I hope when we look back on things again a year from now, you are, are incredibly pleased with the the progress that you've made and, and the th- objects that you have built in this new space. Yep, I hope so. It's going to be uh, going to be a great year for for making things in the in the studio. So I'm uh, between the the digital things and the physical things I'm making. It's uh, it's going to be an interesting year, that's for sure. Thanks for listening to Off Hours. You can find detailed show notes at offhours.show. If you'd like to keep up to date with the show, follow us on Twitter, at Off Hours. John can be found on Twitter at Under the Loop, and Chris can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Silver underscore Hand.